0: Grotto Pod. I'm in the Grotto Pod. Bridget's in the Brotto Pod. I I just said Brotto Pod. Brotto. As if it were a type of bratwurst. We're all in the Grotto Pod. Welcome to this uh, edition of the Grotto Pod. Today our guest will be Zara, shoot. Norbash. Norbash. I have to say, I listened to not hours, but many minutes of her stand-up and some interviews, so I should know how to pronounce Norbash. It, now. It's, uh, you know, it's got a lot of consonants. It's so many
1: consonants, yeah. In a row. And yet there really is no excuse. You hear it about i got it. no excuse. No, no, I, I, practiced, I practiced. Professional
0: podcasting. You know, Zara is a Grotto member uh, like yourself and mm-hmm. myself, by mm-hmm. the way. I am Larry Rosen. Oh, I'm Bridget Quinn. Yeah, welcome again to the Grotto Pod, a very large space that we all have plenty of room to uh, sort of mingle in. Uh,
1: <coughs> Although we've been told we, we're going on at too much length about how small it is, but you have to understand if you're in here, it's, it's
0: very. Really not small much else you can think about.
1: And a little airless and hot.
0: Not a little airless. I think the airlessness is really the, the we controlling. We could die in here. We could. If we had a really long, like some podcasts I've listened to go on for three hours. Yeah. Oh, no. Some no. comedians' podcasts. If we did that, it would go on forever. Because you and would find they, our lifeless bodies in here, in, and they'd yeah. say, wait, what happened? Are they still recording a podcast? And then they call it the Grotto Coffin. <laughs> they would. It would <laughs> be like sort of the Grotto's version of Jonestown. Um, Zara, <laughs> Which
1: we've had Grotto members write about.
0: That is about true. Yeah, books, entire books yeah. about Jonestown. Julia Shears, great uh, book. Great book. I actually read it before I met Julia Shears, similar Ooh, to how I read uh, your story in Best American oh. short, uh, Sports Writing before I met you. Zara is what I, uh, in sports they would call a multi hyphenate. Yeah. Actually, I think in, in entertainment they call her a multi hyphenate too. She is a stand up comedian. Right. Slash? Slash. Um is is a one-woman show different than a stand-up? It I is. We we'll have to ask, ask her. her. Actress or actor? You're supposed to say actor. She has been on a web series. Right. So uh, she's, an, so she's a, an actor. Stand-up
1: comedian and actor. She's a writer.
0: She's a writer. She's an activist. She's a podcaster. She is a podcaster. She is the co-host of the podcast Good Muslim, Bad Muslim. She's also an amazing inventor of hashtags. I've heard she's an amazing inventor mm. of hashtags, which uh, I'm going to ask her about because... uh
1: Maybe she could get one for
0: you. I have my own... But how's hashtags. that going? How's it going? Well, the problem with my uh, <clears throat> experiences in the hashtagging world is that uh, while my career arc may be slightly similar to Zara's, mm-hmm. where she speaks to an audience of thousands. Correct. I actually saw a clip of her. It looked like she was at freaking Carnegie Hall and there. You know, I'm up there with the, the lights. She's and been to the White House. She's been. To the, I have, two. I, I took a tour once. Oh, yeah. Um, not me. Neither. I speak to a much smaller audience. So my hashtags, while appreciated... Really, don't uh, establish any any ground virality. Right, right. Right. Uh, My only uh, flirting with viruses are the kind you get that leave you feeling (laughs) under the weather for quite some time. But um, but what's interesting? uh, One of the things I'd like to talk to Zara about is is how she um, how she relates. I guess yeah relates to the grotto itself. Now we've got a lot of different types of writers in here, Um, but generally it comes down to. One or the other side of fiction or nonfiction.
1: Poetry. Is that – which is
0: that? I would call that fiction. You would? I would, but I don't, don't know. quote me on that I, just, I'm I don't not, want I'm someone just not to sure. burst in here angry. I'm just not angry. sure. Okay. Um, but generally, we got a lot of journalists. Yes, a lot of journalists. We got a lot of – You know uh, why? Because – They make more money. They make money period. Right. We have so fiction they can afford, writers. They can afford an office. We have people who do awful things for money like myself, right? <laughs> and that is neither fiction nor nonfiction, but just sort of. High. What is it? Advertising? Yeah. Yeah. I guess you would call it marketing. I do some marketing writing. That's nonfiction.
1: Well, maybe it is fiction. Ooh, no <laughs> I'm confused. Oh, boy. So many slippery slopes here.
0: I. Ha- I can't go any further because okay. um, I don't want to. Your livelihood depends on it. Let me take the fifth on that. Yeah. One. Okay. But Zara really isn't a writer in a traditional sense, like you would say. She sure she writes. If you, you're going to perform a one-woman show, you're writing. Oh my gosh! Yes. You're doing a ton of writing. Um, I don't see her around here a ton. She, she used to be,
1: but she travels all the time. Right. I don't know how, just myself, just getting through today and mm-hmm. ending up here in the Grotto Pod, mm-hmm. I was driving here frantically thinking, how does Zara get from place to place? Because you, she is booked
0: solid. You were probably pretty happy for that turbocharged engine of yours. I was. German, Thank you. Today. Yeah. Gas-free. So, oh, that's true. So we'll talk to her a little bit about her hectic schedule uh, and, and just really... What this place means to her now, what it mm-hmm. meant before, and, and what it's like sort of moving around here as kind of a unicorn among you know, us boring horses. Uh, yes, exactly. And maybe a few zebras.
1: I feel like I want to say that my favorite picture of me ever taken is with Zara. And I don't know why it's so
0: good. Well, this is going to be interesting because I've actually only interacted with her twice.
1: Oh, my gosh. And I was
0: really oh, a you know sideline player both times.
1: It's because her career took off about two years ago, which is right, probably when I showed up. Yep. Yeah, sure. Two or three, maybe.
0: Well, eventually my career is going to take off, and then there'll be people saying, you know, I've only met him once. I've only heard him on the man, Grotto awesome. pod. It was so cool. And on the Is It Good for the Jews podcast, yeah. of course.
1: yeah. And so um, I remember when Zara started Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, the podcast. Yeah. I remember when she started it and used this very studio, I believe. I it, want to ask her about that.
0: Oh, yeah. That's right. Uh, is it all right if I pick her brain a little bit on how you get your podcast famous? Of course. I'd like to Do learn some things for the Grotto Pod and the Is It Good for the Juice podcast. The first time
1: – yeah, you totally should. Yeah. I think that's – and everyone's interested in doing podcasts. So right. that's information really, everyone wants. It is
0: of the zeitgeist, I guess Completely you could say.
1: is. When we started – the grotto pod we couldn't get the mics to work that's right and i had to call zara and she answered her phone she did and tried to talk us through it but i couldn't figure it out so uh, we had to start again another day
0: right i think after your son came here (laughs) and helped us (laughs) the home it to the rescue all right well let's go get her uh, assuming she's here and we'll uh dive into the unicorn's inner self
1: oh i like it okay yeah
0: all right All right, we're back.
1: We are. Sorry.
2: Norbach. Norbach. Norbach.
0: Norbach. Norbach? I've heard Norbach. I've heard heard them say it, I think you're wrong.
2: I've heard them say Norbakovich, so pretty much (laughs) anything is okay. Wow. That's a Ukrainian,
1: Slavic Muslim.
2: I
0: I saw an interview. um, It was a Sunday on your site. You were being interviewed by a Sunday Bay, you know, Channel 5. And they had removed the vowel from the end. Or no, they had removed... There is no vowel. The,
2: they removed the K-H. Is that what you're talking about?
0: They removed a lot of stuff. <laughs> so they were like... So it was Zor. Zara.
2: Zara.
0: There were lots of consonants in a row. <clears throat> Zara, I'm Larry. Nice to meet you, Larry. Nice to meet you. BQ. You know BQ Where's over BQ? here. Hi, baby. So I was telling BQ before you got her, I'm a little nervous because I've only actually interacted with you twice. Once, you came to see Fred... And you were, it wasn't even to see you. You were startled. Not, Not only were you coming to see me, but you were startled to find someone sort of wedged into that little corner back there.
2: Oh, yeah. That, uh, we we need to explain. Fred has an
0: office. Fred has an office, which actually now is next to Bridget's office. Yeah, it is. You guys
2: describe the grotto in detail. It's like a maze. You know, we, we really do. do. It's a maze. It it's is a maze. maze. And there are all these, like, nooks and crannies and squares within rectangles within squares. It's a bizarre space.
1: Yeah, and I always tell Succinctly people when they first described. come, if you're trying to find the bathroom, just... Keep to the outside walls, and eventually you'll find <laughs> eventually your way there. Get there. But so, it is true; it's like being on a ship.
0: Without getting without digressing too much, you know, sometimes because I'm I'm a freelancer, and I just grab a desk, and Correct. I'll grab that desk often because I like to hide.
1: And then I tell people he's my secretary.
0: And then I ask, "Do you, yeah, have, an like but, do you have an appointment? Because
1: he's outside my office."
0: But sometimes I'll just take a lap, you know, just because I feel really uh, secluded. Isolated. Mm-hmm. So I'll just take a lap. Just to see if anyone's got their door open or anything, and usually they don't. But
1: I almost always have my door closed. But Fred keeps his open. A lot of people keep theirs open. I can't work. My back's to the door. What if a gunslinger comes in and tries to kill me? <laughs> that's, that's very very,
0: very mafia do of you. It. Now, the second time interaction I had with you was at lunch, and you brought in an audio book mm-hmm. about.
2: Oh, that's right, T Rex Love. T Rex Love. <gasps> that's hilarious. What? And we
0: listened to it.
2: That's hilarious.
0: During lunch?
2: Okay, so Alistair, another Grotto member.
0: Alistair G., uh, homeless editor for The Guardian. He is not homeless. No, he's not. His beat <laughs> is, he works the ho- homeless? That, there's no he way to make that sound the okay. He does homeless beat.
2: I, li- I like that byline, though.
0: Yeah, homeless editor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it could happen in San Francisco. That could happen.
2: Oh. Aren't we all right now? Um, um, basically, yeah. yeah.
0: Anyways, you brought the book in. It was Alistair's.
2: So Alistair had posted this like a year ago and then I hadn't seen Alistair for a long time since and I was and I, just, I had remembered it and then he challenged me on it. He was like, No, you did not get it. I think is what happened. You bought Somebody, it, you downloaded oh, it. Oh, I, I totally bought it. It was two ninety nine for pure gold. <laughs> I have to have this. It's okay, it's on Amazon. There is this entire fetish for T Rex.
1: Uh, erotica. Oh, I'm so bummed. I thought it was about the band T-Rex. It's about T-Rex.
2: No, it's not
0: ero- about It's about little, dinosaur little erotica. It's so
2: much better. It's T-Rex the dinosaur. And I can oh. see
0: that Zara's going to go highbrow cuz I saw your mouth form the puh, and then you went erotica.
2: Right. Yeah, I was going to say porn. And <laughs> then I T-Rex that's porn. That's how well written it was. It was oh, so vicious. <laughs> You listened to that
1: story. I, the whole time when you introduced this topic. I thought you were listening to the band T Rex. I was getting all excited. Well, they got it in on that way. And they banged a gong. They but. did bang a gong. But you
2: can stay excited, girl, because it's because it's hot, hot, hot. So I told know. Alistair
1: about. Is it Amish or Amish? Amish. Amish romance novels. Oh, and he never did anything with it.
2: Does it get hot and heavy?
1: Yeah, because you're not supposed to.
2: So it's all like guilty, guilty, guilty. Yes,
1: and that's sexy.
2: See, it's a <clears throat> note this, to you. This is your Catholic background. Totally,
0: comedian. totally, it
2: is. <laughs> <laughs> the guilt. It's so hot. It's, it's so full. Of, so full of, hot. of
0: euphemisms like barn raising. Exactly yeah, right. Oh, boy, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I want to ask you something, Zara, just to get started.
2: Since we've already, <laughs> got we're already so close. <laughs> we started with
0: porn. We Digress plenty. With porn we've gotten the digression out of the way. Terrifying me
2: in a corner. <laughs> First, Continue.
0: Yes, and I want to. I want to phrase this correctly. Mm-hmm. I was telling Bridget before I got here, like, so you do stand-up comedy. Yes. And I've, during so my well. life, said, boy, it's always something I wanted to do. But I'm also a person who says, don't say that, because if it's something you've always wanted to do, you would have done it.
2: Oh.
0: So explain to us, how do you, how do you get the, where's the germ of the idea for that come from? Uh-huh. And how do you start? We're going bio here.
1: Oh, okay. So how did you
0: start? Because I'm I'm assuming that's where it started How did you you. start? How
1: does one start? It does seem a little insurmountable. Maybe how writing seems to some people, just general writing. But then getting up there.
0: Getting up there is terrifying.
2: Well, I would say the process of becoming a stand-up comedian, that first step, sort of filters everybody out anyway. Because um, I think you wouldn't stay in stand-up comedy if you didn't have to do it.
1: Why do you have to do it? You. Yeah, good question. Yeah.
2: It's nine years of therapy. I'm still...
1: <laughs> yeah, and you're still up there. I just saw you two weeks ago, so I know you're still doing it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely... And I think every comedian has this moment with comedy where they're, they're the broke back Mountain moment and like, why can't I quit you? Mm.
1: See, that's sexy. <laughs> the, the
2: guilt. The guilt. The guilt the is invul- sexy. That inability. <coughs> guys, it, yeah. Like, I, there have been plenty of times where I'm like, why do I need to be a comedian? Why do, why do I need to... It's not... I don't need this in my life. Why do I need it? But you, I got to. Like, uh, f- physically, genetically, um, I feel better. My oxytocin levels surge. What is it? Wow. When what? I'm on stage and I'm in dialogue with people in real time and that, that that's what I need. I need it.
1: So you feel better, but I would think you would in some ways feel worse for the six hours before that or and, the 12 hours. And that's hours. everyone else in the world. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Like there's just something about um, the opportunity to be on stage in dialogue with people in that form that just feeds you. And I think the unfortunate thing that happens is it gets conflated with a kind of like narcissism or uh, like – you're you're screwed up somehow like right you should should be able to get your fulfillment in any other shape or form
0: like i listen to a lot of comedians podcasts and one of the themes they come back to is how damaged comedians are that Mm -hmm. there's something missing in the middle of them that forces them to go up there and seek this adulation and it doesn't sound like that's necessarily true. true what you're saying is it's a little boost that not everyone else gets
2: yeah yeah, because maybe otherwise they, you would just quit because you don't get treated very well. For the first six years of your career, you get paid in beer. Like, mm. good thing you drink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I hope I'm not giving away any secrets.
2: No, no secrets. Poor oh. eating, alcohol drinking, marital yeah. sex having, bisexual, Muslim.
1: You're average. That about some Muslim up. girl. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Although I have to say, the and I've known all these things, I'm not shocked because. That's something one encounters in life in San Francisco: are beer drinking,
2: yeah,
1: uh, sex having, single people, like whatever, blah people blah blah blah.
2: blah. Have to Bisexual,
1: gay, whatever—it's no identity, big deal, yeah. right. Only in San and Francisco. Yet, well, yeah. I mean, it's pretty out there. You could probably say I like to have sex with dinosaurs. And people would be like, "That's cool. It's no big it's deal." <laughs> write a book. But Why don't you write there's a book? like there's
2: this uh, joke a friend of mine always says uh, about. Um, how in San Francisco you can go to a party and be like and that is how I got general awards and someone will be like thank you for talking about that (laughs) I have been struggling with that but if you're like and that is how I found Jesus. People will be like, "Whoa, dude. Whoa, dude. Oh, I have often Keep said that that at home. I have
1: often said that <laughs> very thing. And I had a that similar a feeling point. at your show, which is, you know, the woman ahead of you was hilarious. Tell me her name again. Um, she did Irene too. Irene. Oh, she's very she- Is fabulous. She was talking a lot about sex in a way that was super funny and gender identity. And just it was very amusing. Then you got up and we're talking a little bit about sex, a few F-bombs. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. All good. And then I realized your dad was in the audience and I couldn't – I was like the top of my hair was – my hair was on fire. Like I couldn't believe Zara – Zara's like over 30. Her dad was there. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. a really good point. What? I didn't really want to get to that till later, but since oh, you brought sorry. it up, I just it was no, so shocking to me. No, let's do it now because so you've described your parents in your works. Traditional, would that be fair to say? Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Traditional, and they came to the U.S. in 1979, Eight. 78, So they left the Revolution. Uh,
2: they, they left before the Revolution. My dad was a um, my dad was a student at the University of Michigan. Uh, and he came for education. They planned on going back. And oh. Then six months later. The they
0: revolution- were a couple without a also, they got Country. stranded
2: here, basically. Yes.
1: Wow. So they didn't even mean to stay here. That would be hard.
2: Yeah. That and would be hard. two years later, because my entire family is there. Like, my parents literally came here um, with two and then had two babies. Uh, and assuming that they were going to go back at some point and my mom was going to have support. Oh, uh, wow. And... Uh, at that time, my mom was 18. Oh, my, oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. yeah, she was 18. And they they were just two young kids. Like, And, you know, people are like, how can you have such young parents? And it's like, well, in Iran, you know, a village is there to help you raise your family. Like, I had not met my aunts and uncles um, and grandparents and didn't know what an aunt or uncle or cousin wow. was until I was 14.
0: Okay. Well, then to get to where I was going with this the very traditional parents, but non-extended family local, does that make it easier or harder to sort of tackle these things? Like Bridget was, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe tackle isn't the right word, but just let it all hang out. Because it's something we talk about a lot as writers, especially writers who mind their own lives with their work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do I want my mom to hear this? Right, right. And what will she do?
2: You know, I'm almost going to like leap ahead
0: into
2: another topic because I feel like I'm going to kill two birds with this answer awesome because i've been thinking about this a lot the notion of types of people and types of traditions and community and realizing how false it is in this like post-trump era that we're living in because so many people that i thought were my people are not Mm. i have met so many pro- Trump Muslim supporters, Muslim supporters. I've met so many pro-Trump Iranians. I've met so many pro-Trump queer people.
0: So this is kind of off topic, but what's the thinking behind that?
2: So sort of slinging it back around, like, I used to think, like, wow, my parents, like, you know, they're so uh, unique because... Yeah, there are so many parents who are really traditional and devout. And then I realized, no, actually, we have all been duped into thinking that race is real and that, you know, countries and cultures delineate, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
2: what types of people we might encounter. But the truth is, there are people who are of a certain type, which is like my parents, who... Their faith is there for them and serves them. Their culture is a part of their identity and what they grew up with. What they want for their kids is success and all they have to base their kids doing well or not doing well on in the absence of their own parents' guidance, they're with them because the diaspora experience is this, you know, you're very much on your own and kind of making choices and hoping that they're right, is to base it off of what they themselves have done. And because they're here and absent their community and absent the infrastructure that they grew up in that they understand, then the stakes are really high. And because they're alone, the stakes are really high. And they don't have any kind of, like, fiscal network to support them. They don't, there's no family to loan money. Um,
1: wow, yeah, of course. Ooh. So they
2: really don't want you to stray, from the path that they were taught because they're terrified and they don't know if you're going to be okay. And that really is what my show is about is the moment where my father realizes that he has done right by me, that I am asking questions that are critical of him, but because I am self-assured in what it is that I want and who it is that I am. And so I'm challenging his ideas, but at the heart of it, I'm okay. And I think when he realizes okay. that, that's the moment where he lets go.
0: So I think you're giving your parents a lot of credit that I'm not giving mine. Oh. You know, by saying they can handle it. All they really care about is whether or not I'm doing well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But your parents also, at
1: least, I, I can't, I haven't heard a lot about your mom compared to your dad, um, although I have in your shows, but just in general, they do seem kind of remarkable. And I don't mean remarkable like. Nobody could be like this. Nobody could be so opening and welcoming. But just that they're able to not buy into a kind of should or or must. To be able to look at you as an individual and assess is a great personal attribute and one that can be rare in parents.
2: This is true. And I think for a lot of people, particularly outside of the Bay Area even, the expectation themselves is that they couldn't imagine my parents being like that either because Mm -hmm. of my background as a Muslim as an Iranian. And so then it's sort of an eye-opening experience for everyone. And I think a lot of people also don't realize that their parents are evolving people too.
1: Right,
0: of course. Mm -hmm. You know, we see,
2: right? Oh, yeah, yeah. they're human.
0: No, I just shrink-wrap them every time I leave and then I (laughs) unshrink-wrap them when I come back. And
1: then they're there the way I expect them to be.
0: Exactly. Or they better be.
2: And I don't know about you guys, but like, um when I uh think about like I feel like you reach an age where you start to wish that you could shrink grab your parents because you're like, please don't get older.
1: Oh man, I'm so there. Wow. It's just when my dad turns 94 on Tuesday. Congratulations. Thank you. I know. And my mom's still alive too. I'll tell you. It's hard, man. It's good because it's only a matter of time. Yeah. (laughs) It's only a matter of time. He's 94. The positive side of
0: that is you get to a point where you stop complaining that your father eats apple pie for Lunch. <laughs> just, just let, them, you it's know? Just it's let him. It's true. It's true. Let him That's what he wants. That's his dream Or deal. for example,
1: drink scotch at breakfast. I'm just saying. <laughs> scotch if that were at to happen,
2: apple if pie, that like were to happen, this enough. is like my husband's family. dream. Yeah, this is
0: <laughs> apple pie and scotch. <laughs> yeah, two yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I really want to meet your parents now, Larry. Uh, I heard this great quote once that was like, "You haven't really become a writer until you write your mother."
0: Ooh. Ooh.
2: Yeah. And I've been thinking about it a lot. And, like, I like, I had to...
0: Wait. Deconstruct that a little bit. Until you write to your mother or until you no. write about your mother?
2: You write... The, as yeah, your mother? You write the character of your...
0: Okay. Or you, you're I able to you
2: embody. Write, yeah, you, you write about your mother. I think that's what it was. I
1: Never. think if you're writing well, also, you have to have total empathy for the character. You have to yeah. inhabit it a little bit, her.
2: There's a, There's a lot of ways that in my work as a memoirist... And as a solo performer and as a comedian, you hear a lot about my dad. You don't hear a lot about my mom. And I told my mom, like, I thought you were stupid until I was 32. Wow. No, how'd she take that? That hurts, man. She just laughed.
1: I think my kids probably think I'm a little, a little dim. A little dim. A like, little dim. <laughs> yeah. And I do think they think that.
2: Well, and I remember when I was a kid and I told my mom, like, Mom, guess what? I was like five years old. I was like, when you hold up. One hand, you have five fingers, and you hold up another hand, you have five fingers, and when you put them together, you have ten. <laughs> you don't even have to count; you just know all the time. It's always ten. And she goes, "Wow!" And I just went, "Oh my god,
1: you you're
0: idiot!" She didn't. Yeah.
2: No. <laughs> One of the stories about
1: your mom, though, that I've thought about a lot lately, keeps coming back into mind, is your mom wears or wore the hijab. Yes, and it's a, a story I'll let you tell. But now there's that shepherd fairy.
0: Oh yeah, the All-American screen
1: of the woman in the American flag hijab. Right. And when I had first seen flyers or something for the show that I think where you talk about that you were wearing an American flag hijab, but it oh, seemed yeah. to say something very Ugh. different the, than is, that poster is implies. Is the show your
0: first all Muslims are atheists or was all it atheists are sorry.
1: Right. <laughs> all atheists or Get us in trouble oh, boy. Oh, boy. there, Larry. Oh boy,
0: here we go. <laughs> but now I'm in it's trouble. not that
1: I thought it was a joke. I just thought it was it, there was something like, naughty about it. Yours. There is.
2: There, we, we can de- deconstruct that a little bit. No, well, so I, I can, would like you to. I burst I your Ferry bubble.
1: Oh, I don't necessarily have one. I'm just, uh, I'm just surprised by it.
2: So uh, there was this whole wave of uh, reactions to the 10-year anniversary of 9-11 uh, from Muslim activists and comedians and writers trying to recenter the narrative of what it means to be Muslim and break the monolith. There were a lot of uh, assimilationist responses that were we're just like you, we're just like you, we're just like that. you, we're just mm-hmm. like you, and uh, please don't kill us. And uh, so there were some That's people. Like yeah. <laughs> there were some people who uh, were wearing the flag as hijab in a sincere okay. way to say like I am American and to claim it. And I sort of wanted to push against that in a satirical way and right. say this is ludicrous. Why am I wearing flag as hijab? Like and the girl in the the young woman in the shepherd fairy poster that picture was taken in 2011 she herself does not wear hijab. Right. I also do not wear hijab. Right. So it's interesting that she's wearing it in earnest, I'm wearing it as satire. Neither of us actually <laughs> wears it. <laughs> right. And so like it's frustrating too because you know satire walks that fine line. Right. I can't tell you how many times that picture will get used in publicity. Right. For me, in earnest, not nice. as satire. Right. Because
0: once you put it out there, you can't control what happens to it.
2: And it's such a pain. I'll bet. Uh, but that—that
1: that is the problem with satire because people are tone deaf about satire. There have been all these studies <clears> about. <throat> you know, um, that some of the late night comedians who we think of as so, right. as so cutting edge and, and, you know, pushing the envelope in terms of talking back to power that the people they're supposed to talking back to power are going, yeah, man, that's right. Damn straight.
0: <laughs> like, well, Cobra didn't, you, didn't you, I looked on your website, didn't you get a, like a, a thank you tweet from some Trump organization?
2: Oh yeah. There was one where like I had to, uh, it was on my Instagram where I made a joke and I can't really remember what the joke was. I think something I was, hilarious. So it was hilarious. It was, yeah,
1: it was hilarious. So good.
2: And yeah, a Trump, a pro Trump. Because like,
0: they don't know. Oh, there's our name. Yay. Thank you. So, which, but you can't really blame people for not knowing. You know, with with little information. But you know what? I want to talk about writing. Okay. Essentially, this is a writing uh, podcast, writing focused. We are here in the grotto. Before you got in, we were talking a little bit about. That you're sort of a unicorn in the grotto. <laughs> you're kind of a grotto legend, too, I have to say. Oh, I like Actually, that. I forgot mm-hmm. to lead off with that. i like, you're kind of a grotto legend. First of all, everyone here loves you. Oh
1: Yeah, I'd and say Zara is so I really loved. And my favorite photo.
0: And your Zara. favorite photo. Yeah. And they love your husband.
2: I love all these checks. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes,
0: yes. Um, oh, yeah, everyone loves But Duncan. you're also not here that much.
2: It's been a busy year. Because you're
0: busy. That's why we love her. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> like, so I've been here for two years, and I feel like generally the grotto falls in on two lines, there's, there's nonfiction people, journalists, mm. and there's fiction writers, some mm-hmm. poets sprinkled in, but they usually have to do other stuff. Um, but you're kind of a unicorn. You know, you do all these different things. And I always wonder if someone says, are you a writer? Ah. If that'd be the first thing you'd say.
2: I don't get that anymore. Did you ever? Uh, I think when I was, like, new to writing Mm -hmm. and I had that whole, like, am I a writer? You know, the same way that, like, people wonder, am I an artist? You know, I just dabble. I don't really give my time to the craft.
1: (laughs) I haven't had a major retrospective. I must not be an artist. Yeah. A little bit.
2: Yeah. 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 After a while, you're, like, in it and you're, like, God, it's hard being an artist. Yeah. But sum it up. So
0: what are all the things that you're doing?
2: I uh, write pilots and try to get them made. Uh, wow. I am putting on a comedy, a one-hour comedy special, merging my storytelling, which is another medium that I work in, with stand-up. I do one-woman shows where I play all the characters.
1: So you're an actor, too.
2: I am an actor, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I write very much with an actor brain. I'm very kinesthetic uh, and tactile about my process, which is part of why I have to get on stage a lot because I do need to inhabit.
0: Do you write on stage?
2: I do. Okay. Most of my writing happens on stage.
1: And that's terrifying because most of my writing happens behind a closed door where I throw <laughs> away the thing I don't want anyone to see, but everyone sees your thing that, nobody, that you see, don't that
2: want that to see. See, that sounds
1: terrifying to me. So how do you oh. do it? Do
0: you go up oh. with notes, note cards, no. a couple ideas?
2: Uh, I definitely go up with ideas. What I do – and again, like a lot of this is just that there's so much that – and I think part of the reason why I seem like a unicorn – same. <laughs> no, we're all, just, no we're all just horses, aside from my rainbow hair to, and the horn. The community. horn is yeah, kind know, of my first it's small giveaway here for the horn, but yeah, all
0: right. Just don't turn to the side.
2: Sorry, guys. Ah, just kidding. I have had to really own what is my process. Um, when I was 19, I was diagnosed with ADD, uh, which was like, oh, that would have been helpful to know in high school. ADD or ADHD? ADD. Just ADD. ADD.
1: Just ADD. I no, well,
0: no, the, I don't the H, know the difference. The H is hyperactive. Oh, is hyperactive,
2: okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, got it. No, I was just the kid who would just go, you know, goes off, go into the Wonderland.
0: I have no idea what that would be like.
2: I wasn't listening. What's that?
0: <laughs> Did you say something? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the perfect medium for
2: both of you. <laughs> and uh, I, what I learned was like. Um, how frustrating that diagnosis is because it's just kind of a catch-all for we don't know why you dissociate sometimes and so i had to really do all this work to like um sort through the trauma of uh growing up uh with teenage parents in a diaspora post-revolution uh, with a mom wearing hijab, where like people would flip her off, you know, while she was oh. driving with us when we were kids. And, well,
0: sure, if you put it like that.
2: <laughs> you know, like there was a lot of aggression. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. And so, yeah, I get distracted sometimes. And also, I'm very kinesthetic. Like, and part of that is because um, I also went to a different elementary school for every year. So, like, hmm. um, wow, that's. Yeah, that's a lot. So. Yeah like i i the the experience of feeling rooted like i have to have that first before i can sort of like feel my bearings and also probably in terms of like the sense of audience uh i know it when i see it when i hear you and you're there with me and and then i and then i hear my material and i'm just very extroverted as well so like i am recharged by the presence of people
0: you get off stage and you're just flying high
2: oh yeah yeah
1: tell me this so you Say something, you say, tell a joke or a, a story, it kills. Then it's gone. Is it captured somewhere? Is that how you can go back and have it? Yeah, I record it. And then you go back and listen to it, and then you're like, okay, that works. Yes. But you knew in the moment it worked. Did she go up there with nothing?
2: Most of the time, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not nothing, nothing because, and again, this is where I come back to like a lot of my writing is because, you know, I have this sort of thank God for my theater degree from Berkeley where yeah. like I got formal actor training because that also gave me a sense of process. As an actor, you go up there with nothing. But you've done all this work before you get on stage in mm. the sense that you've done character homework. So it's like when I go up on stage, I apply that to my stand-up craft where I know what my voice is. I know what my take is. I know that it's going to be optimistic no matter what the circumstance. And I know that I'm going to try to cheat somebody to get – some gain <laughs> because that's my character and so explain that, that a little bit but the, i there are some muslim comedians that are here to build bridges and create a dialogue and i am here to take your jobs indoctrinate your youth and creep sharia across this planet
0: <laughs> that's your And brand.
2: convert everyone in the room because you the get
0: room. A, an extra heaven year
2: yeah, exactly i get heaven points
0: heaven points sorry. you must
2: heaven be points. loaded by now yes. loaded dude i could rob a bank and be fine i love it are there virgins for you do you think i want 72 male virgins no
1: no true oh my god what am i thinking but i
2: am t-rex that's
1: something else i know so there Oh, you perfect but also
2: 72 female virgins no that's also not it's also so much work i think i would just like a lot experienced very old lovers workers (laughs) yeah who've been in the biz but not like
1: old like used up like fresh because it's heaven or paradise, or whatever it's called.
2: It's I paradise. Even, I don't even know what fresh means anymore. Oh. I'm navigating the gender binary girl. This is, like, this is new terrain. But, anyway.
1: We're scaring Larry.
2: Back to...
0: No, I <laughs> very was...
2: Larry was like, I was actually uh, trying to
0: come up with a good line that had something to do with developing computer apps from the 72 male virgins, but I couldn't do it. It so. was in San
2: Francisco. So, so I
0: skipped it. Killer app. Um,
2: well, so, yeah, as a writer, like, uh... Basically, I found the ability through all these mediums I work in to stop beating myself over the head saying, why can't you write like that person or this person or that person? And How come you can't stay in when mediums are like this person or that person or this person? Mm. And just owned it and just love it about myself and and, and, ride the wave.
0: Well, and you work in some collaborative mediums too. Are, is that a strength of yours or a weakness of yours? Cause you also do a lot of stuff that's very individual.
2: I think anything is a strength or a weakness depending on the parameters. Right. Mm. So like it's been a strength of mine to be collaborative as a comedian, as a performer, and sometimes podcaster. as, a, as, a, as podcaster, a podcaster and as a screenwriter. Uh, but then when it comes to writing my own book, that is like building all kinds of new muscles
0: is that what you're working on now? Yes. When? When are you exactly. doing that? Because you exactly. had mentioned memoirs, and I went ding, ding, ding. Maybe that's I'm what
2: working it. on a book called My Infidel Husband.
1: Oh, I like it. Good title.
2: It's a good title.
0: Right? So it really is. We were talking earlier about swearing in front of your parents. I'm sure, like, honey, I'm going to write a book called My Infidel Husband. Oh, that guy. She on that for a while.
2: He's <laughs> <laughs> he knows what he's getting. He does. He does. <laughs> he knows what he's in for. My Infidel. Oh. Uh, How far well, in, into in, it are you? The... Uh, this chapter two. Oh. Chapter two. Okay. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot of like building the muscle of locking myself up in a room and mm. you can't leave and you need to finish this and contending with the voices in my head. And yeah.
1: My advice, do not buy sweetened cereal. Oh. You'll eat it all.
0: Well, That's and you have, gone. you have mm. an extra layer of challenge as someone with ADD to put yourself in that room and. Think not only to stay focused, but not to get angry at yourself if you can't.
2: Yes. Oh, and I'm so glad oh, you asked yeah. that. Because what I've also noticed about myself is uh, that I, <laughs> I get particularly – because I've been paying attention to, like, things that trigger my dissociations, right? And one is when I'm stressed about an existing project, I get distracted by the potential for three others,
0: Oh, well, that's awesome! Because that way you feel like you're actually being productive,
2: and it's such a lie. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh!
1: I will. Yes,
2: it's completely. such a lie. So I like now I hear it. Like I'll be sitting there, I'll be writing a scene, and I'll be like, "Oh, I should just put this on stage. Why am I even bothering writing it?" Zara, Zara, it's a
0: book. <laughs> the inner regulator.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, well, it's interesting to me that you've come around now to writing a book. When you first came, so I didn't know you had gone to school for theater. So maybe that was your first goal.
2: But, I actually started out as an English major.
0: Oh, don't do that. Yeah. A waste of time.
2: I was like, if I have to read about one more old dead white dude mm. that, like, tricked some dumb young virgin, I'm going to blow my brains out.
0: The only thing hard in being an English major is teaching English.
2: <laughs> mm.
0: But you came, it had to be challenging to enter your adult years sort of without what would seem to be a, a, a linear plan.
2: Yes. I felt stupid a lot.
0: So what did you start with? What was the first thing? Was it stand-up?
2: I first started with screenwriting, actually. Um, That's easy.
0: I was was going to say, that (laughs) That sounds hard.
2: (laughs) Well, because I love the movies. Right. And for an ADD kid, that's easy.
0: It's a lot easier. I've written a screenplay. It seems easy. it's, It's not easy. You know what works for me with screenplays is they're so... They look so structured. You get that software, you know, and everything's indented all nicely, and it's like A, B, C, right. D. Right. You just go down the line.
2: Well, and I don't know what, what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> well, and what threw me out of that was then my – in one of my instructors was like screenwriting is actually a 20% dialogue, 80% everything else. And I was like,
0: what?
2: That's
1: no fun. 80% everything else, and that's what? Structure? What is the 80% of it?
2: Structure, everything? character description. Oh.
0: Stage direction.
1: Oh, you put all of that in the screenplay.
2: There's lots going so on. So a
1: screenplay is like, it's not like camera shots. Well, it's very
0: it visual, handy, yeah. visual
2: storytelling.
0: It's funny. Some, did you read a bunch of them? Yes. So did I. So it, and they're all different. Okay. Like I remember hearing once, Greg Araki's screenplays were like novels, and others, some are really stripped down.
2: Yeah, like William Goldman's screenplays feel very like conversational.
0: Mm-hmm. But so you went from there, and that, you were like, uh-uh, not from me.
2: Well, what oh, I you're realized... you still doing it, it, seems like. Yeah, well, yeah. it was my first love as a writer. And what I... Actually, to be honest... this I'd like you to be honest. It's Please. So, it's so fun to nerd out on this stuff with other writers in a closet. Uh, Dude. <laughs> where we it's are. It's a studio. A studio, sorry.
0: Um, it's a pod.
2: A pod. If it's very much a pod. It, does, uh, it reminds me of
1: eggs. <laughs> do you feel like an egg a egg little bit? It.
2: Yeah, it's soundproofing. Yes, yeah.
0: we know we won't crack mentally yeah. physically.
2: <laughs> the first time I wrote was... Do you guys remember Bunicula?
0: Yes. yes. What is it? It was, I just remember a picture. My buddy's girlfriend had it because <laughs> she liked bunnies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a Wait, vampire bunny. Oh, right. I know what, I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vampire bunny. And, okay, so I read it in third grade and uh, I had just won this poetry competition because I was like, oh, adults love drama. Yeah. And sad things. And I was like, I'm going to write about a leaf that's dying.
1: Oh, my gosh. My daughter did this exact same thing. Did she win? Dead leaf. I think she did
0: win. I won. Yeah. Congratulations. I I heard it a tree, and then the leaf fell off. Yeah, Yeah.
2: that's what I wrote about, this dying leaf. And uh, I won. And I was like, nailed it. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) my mom was like, oh, like, you know, look at – you won this award for writing, and look at all these other kids that are writing. And then we were introduced to this book in third grade, Benicula. And, uh, okay, so in the beginning – there's a foreword by Howard the dog that has supposedly written this manuscript about Vinicula.
0: <laughs> he so probably like a, he dictated it. It's
1: like a 19th century novel kind of. <laughs>
2: right. And when I was a kid, I was like, dude, you guys, a dog wrote this.
0: <laughs> dogs don't have <laughs> thumbs. He couldn't have written I
2: it. Don't be ridiculous. I so have this. This dog wrote it.
1: I can totally write. I can write as good as a dog. And I that's wrote, wow. awesome. I love that. That is
2: actually celebrating. i bet you put
0: the bar really high from the start.
2: And I was like, you know, bunnies that are vampires sell really well. I, and I was like obsessed with Goosebumps. And I was like a series. And I was like, I'm going to nail this. I'm totally going to nail this. I see what my audience wants. They want bunnies. They want like nightmares. They want scary stories. And then I wrote this book called Monster in the Pet Shop.
1: Oh, my God. It's awesome. I love it. I spent my
2: whole summer writing that. I wrote – I was a 12-year-old that sat down and wrote 95 pages.
1: Oh, my gosh. And that's
2: how dedicated I was. Hyper-focused. Like in third grade, I learned about it. In sixth grade, I wrote it. And I was like so dedicated.
1: But that – how could that not be – that has bestseller written all over it.
2: I need to go find it.
1: You have to find it. Plus, just the merchandising
2: alone – well, <laughs> a bold mine.
0: Notable for writers is the fact that as an eight-year-old, you were thinking in terms of audience.
2: Oh, all the time. Well, you know why? It's because I grew up as a kid with a mom wearing hijab. I was constantly aware of audience.
0: Mm.
1: Because you're aware of her reception? Always. People were watching. Always, always. I see.
2: And I was always getting my parents out of trouble by being the likable kid. Right. Right. Oh. The American one. Right, maybe. And and the cute American little girl who was like, you know, the, the Shirley Temple, like.
0: Boy, you've been dancing as fast as you can since exactly, you were little. Exactly,
2: exactly.
1: Oh. I know. And wait, but you grew up in California. You have a California accent. I don't Dude, do I? Dude. A little bit. So, totally. where in California?
2: Uh, Well, I went to a different elementary school for every year. Right. So your parents were in
1: Michigan, but then they came to California.
2: My parents were in Michigan. We moved to Davis. Um, And then we were in Irvine for a while. Uh, My dad got work up in Silicon Valley. And then, uh, you know, we had an apartment and then we bought a house. And uh, then... But it was kind of cool cuz in elementary school it was like, oh, I'm not I'm I'm not a cool kid here. Oh, we're leaving. Awesome.
0: And then <laughs> reinvent like, myself.
2: Yeah, and then I'm a popular kid here. This is rad. We're moving. That sucks. But I'll be popular again. And then we landed in Danville and it was like, oh boy.
1: I know. No hope.
2: Yeah. <laughs> this is not. It was very 90210.
0: Is Danville or Blackhawk? Danville
1: is very 90210. Kind of oh, yeah. I know very. nothing. I just everything well, Black Hawk
0: east is, of here is, very, is a mystery to me. Hawk is very, is very exclusive. But oh. Danville is more kind of rural, isn't it?
2: Not anymore. Not anymore. They've built, I think, 60,000 homes. Holy
0: cow. That is
2: crazy. It's no longer rural.
0: They're only houses till someone lives in them, then they're their homes.
1: Oh. He's a real estate writer. Did you know that? Oh,
2: wow.
0: True story. Um... And now you know. I think I'm, I'm wondering less why you became a stand-up now. Oh, yeah. Say more. Well,
2: I think— I know what you're going to say.
0: Well, you if think. you were moving, you were always performing. Yep, yes. Whether you were getting, you know, your parents out from under the spotlight or whether you were entertaining a new group at your new school, you were always kind of forging, trying to get that juice. So yes. I can kind of see where that's coming from. Was that the next step after screenwriting?
2: No, actually.
0: So I, I just want to talk about standup. Just
1: I know. It's fine. So. It's fascinating because it's not clear, I think, to anyone. I guess we know how people become writers because we are writers. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's more of a mystery to some people. But stand up is a total mystery because oh, you you go from I nothing uh, to me. Uh, maybe not to you, Grotto Land. But you go from saying mm-hmm. I want to be a standup to being on stage. That's how I see it. I see. Like, I that's see. terrifying. What is, what is in between those two things?
2: Well, open I mean, mics.
1: Oh, open mics.
2: got a cop out of the way um so i uh didn't find stand-up until i was in college um i was starting out as a psych major because i thought oh this is a great way for me to learn about character um i really like i always was obsessed with character and i thought i can't perform because i was this like modest muslim girl and i thought that'll never be in the cards um and i always like had all this like uh, body shame, because I was an overweight kid. And um, and I thought, oh, well, I'll never be a performer. And so I'll write. But then uh, a friend of mine uh, in college was like, I want you to take all your stories about your dad and at the Iranian Student Cultural Organization's talent show, I want you to string them all together into a 15-minute set. And I did, and I totally nailed it. And there was like 500 Iranian parents in the crowd that were totally cracking up.
0: And were, I love it. were you one of those kids who hearing the people laugh felt like nothing you'd ever felt before? Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: But I love that it was pa- – the parents were with you.
2: Yes. Yes. And I think that was, like, really key because yeah. always – like, my parents were really important to me. Like, we had a really close relationship always, and when we had a distant relationship, it was painful um, and hard. And so that was really fantastic. And uh, – I did a couple of like Iranian shows after that, uh, where they would say, "We love all you do. Just don't do anything political or uh, sexual or religious." And what else is there? Your relationship. Other than
0: that, we love everything you do.
2: <laughs> There's you, only that
1: bunny vampire thing. Oh That's yeah, to,
2: we're right about that. But like nothing, none of that. And do you have any more material? No, <laughs> no, I don't. Like it was just me doing impressions of my dad all the time for these iranian parents and i was just like i i i'm gonna lose it and i went into the mainstream and i did all the same jokes and i totally bombed Mm. Mm. so this place called the brainwash which is like the san francisco stand-up hazing it's a laundromat slash cafe built-in audience because they do their laundry and they can't leave the poor suckers
1: (laughs) this is brilliant is
2: it still there it's still there and oh, wow. I totally bombed. But after I got off stage, I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to do that again. That was wow. crazy. That is oh, my crazy. Gosh. <laughs> and I and I was like, oh, that's it. That's stand-up. And in 2009, I hit a peak where I was doing really well. I was at the Punchline a lot. I was performing at Cobb sometimes. And I got a guest set for my hero, Masjabrani, who's an Iranian comedian. And I got up on stage. It was 10 o'clock at night. And I thought, like, I'm going to be memorable. I'm going to be memorable. And... I'm gonna like do the like, you know, edgy jokes. And I was thinking about my set and I had like my safe set and I had my Persian family set from doing all these Persian shows. The bouncer goes, Here come here they come, they're young and drunk and I was like, Oh, got this threw out the Persian family set, did a bunch of dirty jokes, and then realized, no, that was just four girls. He was talking about the 347, no, 300, I don't do math, 346 <laughs> other people who were Persian grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and cousins. Ooh. And it was crickets. Ooh. Worst show of my life. I got off stage and Maz was like, why did you do that? Because he had told me like these Persian crowds don't like dirty stuff. humor. And I was like, I I, I I, thought, I, I it seemed it was like a good idea the at the time. <laughs> and I, like, I thought they were going to laugh. And for three months after, because it was the Persian New Year month, uh, at every event, Persians would say, why did you do that?
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is a nightmare. She became the why do you do that girl.
2: And oh. I quit comedy. Really? And I, at that time, was working with W. kamal Bell. Uh, who had, who was uh, fabulous. Yes, and uh, he had a one-man show called uh, The W. Kamau Bell Curve, Ending Racism in About an Hour. And he <laughs> uh, and he was do- teaching a solo performance class, and I was telling him about how much I hated my material, and I was sick of being the like cute Persian girl with inconsequential jokes, and I didn't really have anything important to say. And his first assignment for the solo performance class was write a top ten things you're afraid to say out loud. And number three on my list was, I'm afraid I'm not Muslim.
0: Mm.
1: And he What was said, number one?
2: I don't even remember. Wow. Interesting? It not yeah. I didn't even remember. And he said, I don't even remember the rest of that list.
1: Interesting.
2: And he said, well, I think you are. And I was like, well, it's not up to you. And he was like, well, who is it up to? And I was like,
0: oh. Shoot. Yeah. It's up to me.
2: Yeah. Who is it up to?
0: So that was your aha moment.
2: That was, yeah. And I did – from there, like, I started developing All Atheists Are Muslim, the show about moving in with my atheist infidel boyfriend, but also, like, having to reconcile with being a little bit of an atheist myself. Uh, and how do I – how do I tell this to my parents? Because, like, I can't convert this guy into something that I don't really believe in all that much.
0: But was it daunting after, after you know, creating, like, this these 15-minute sets of comedy to go, I'm going to write – an hour-long narrative, basically, one-woman show.
2: About yes. something
1: that's
0: scary. Yes. Yeah. Which is
2: why I didn't write it, and I made it up on stage. Oh, man. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so
1: I am like sweating right now.
2: <laughs> it you're
0: makes sweating. me so stressed you know, out to hear this. But as long as you're not swearing, it's true. Lent you're will go on as planned. I
1: know. I got 40 days to get through this. It's
2: so funny to me to hear about writers, like, terrified of doing stuff on stage. Because to me, the act of, like never sharing it with an audience, writing it down, and then sharing it is like – and then it's in print forever. But
1: see, I'm not afraid to write something down and read it on stage. I'm afraid of making something up on stage. That's what I'm sweating about. I
0: would find it a lot easier Um, to be on stage if I knew exactly what I was going to say.
1: I can be in front of any audience, well, so far, as long as I know I have crafted my material to the best of my ability to – Get up there and think I could wing it. makes me want to throw up right now.
2: Well, I think two things happen for comedians that are different. Uh, One is, um, I mean, I need in real time to be able to see my joke land and how it lands. Yeah, that I can see. And navigate from there. That I can't create by myself. Like, I need that in real time. And then also because of the content I'm working with. Feminist, Muslim, Iranian, American, bisexual. Like, (laughs) What are my examples? <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right. Like, I, I, there's a lot that I have to, like, see for the first time to know. Like,
1: Are you ever maybe often surprised at the reaction? Like, a joke you thought was the best. There's the no time. reaction. And then something was a throwaway is, like, killing it.
2: There there are jokes that I make that hit and I just do again. And I still don't know why people laugh at it. Right. But they did.
1: <laughs> right. So definitely the feedback requirement. Yeah.
2: yeah. So – Well, you just discover so much. But the (coughs) second thing that I think will be familiar to you guys is when you're performing six nights a week.
0: Right. What do you
2: care about one night?
0: Yeah. Um, And I was just going to tell Bridget, I always thought it's like teaching. I found teaching to be like stand up comedy. Mm. Oh, completely. Where you do end up hitting, because you you actually are going up with kind of a script and without a script, but I found I'd hit the same beats every day in every class.
1: At the end of five days, I would be so exhausted by how much emotion I had expended up on stage in a classroom. Are hmm. I mean, you just a collapse
0: and exhaustion? There's a difference. In a classroom, your audience doesn't want to be there.
1: <laughs> Not
0: always, but yeah. In a
1: laundromat,
2: I promise. In a laundromat, they got to be They're there. They're like psyched. They're like, yes, I'm doing my laundry and I'm and being I entertained. And I comedy. For these terrible, terrible a, a you, know, the thing,
0: you brought up that aha moment because I, I did want to ask you about, <clears throat> how much of a conscious decision it was to cast yourself as the bisexual Muslim feminist um, atheist atheist? Um, because you know, I found so I do a Jewish podcast, mm-hmm. and out of that sort of grew this whole sort of cottage industry of like, I'm a professional Jew, and I write for the Jewish newspaper, and I do this and I do that, and it was not anything I decided to do. It just kind of I want to do a podcast with my friend. What are we going to talk about? Well, we're Jews. Let's talk about that.
2: (laughs) It's built in material. Well, that's how Good Muslim, Bad Muslim came around. Taz and I were like, we're both Muslim women. We're not hearing the conversations we want to hear out there. And we're going to do this. We're going to do the girlfriend podcast uh, as two Muslim women who are also political.
0: (laughs) Did you have a sense when you started doing that it was something that hadn't been done before? Definitely. Did Did you check to see? Yes, because we checked.
2: We checked also.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there was nothing. nothing. Since we're talking podcasts, let's get down to your amazing ability to create awesome hashtags. Where does it come from?
2: Uh, I have to give Taz credit oh. on that. My co-host, she has been uh, internet uh, savant for There's a long time. There's a word time. that comes before that, and uh, not always. Okay. <laughs> How did this turn into a diss? Damn it! It wasn't I meant know, to be. Nice I just was.
1: I just thought maybe you were skirting the issue. But all
2: right. Well, she was a blogger for a really long time, mm-hmm. and podcast has kind of become the new right blogging. Uh, and so she was really instrumental in um, like having had built in this so, sort of social media uh, fan base, readership, community, collective. Um, and so uh, that coupled with um, my. Ability to get my mug in the newspapers, you know, yep. saying, hey, feminist, Muslim, me running, comedian, pork eating, alcohol, drinking, premarital, premarital sex, having, ha ha ha." Uh, here I am, irreverence. Um, and it's interesting, the atheistness, It's sort of come full circle. Uh, yeah, I read the piece yeah, about prayer. That
1: was beautiful.
2: Yeah, I wrote a piece for Fresh Air about fantastic coming back to prayer and. Kind of like seeing all these ways that um, the Anglo-Christian um, sort of expectation of religious practice in this country, that is default, had colored my experience of being Muslim, which was not like that. and right. And kind of finding it again. Um, but I forget what your original question was.
0: Well, my original question well, – the original question was – I think you answered it. Was it a conscious choice?
2: I
1: asked about hashtags. Yeah. <laughs> That's – where that, because it was, it, was, it was it a conscious choice?
0: Was it not a persona you created, but you wanted oh, to go in this direction? Yeah, and well, it sounds like if that was the thing you were afraid to...
2: Well, so here's what would happen, though, is, like, before I did this, you know, I get up on stage and I say, I'm a feminist, Muslim, Iranian-American comedian. Before I would do that, I would get up on stage and just try to do jokes about relationships just like everybody else, you know, because, like, there are all these guys that were like, oh, my dick is so small, my balls are so huge, these are my issues. And, like... <laughs> So many guys like that. I didn't. I, I it's didn't, pretty
0: much every man.
2: I, I didn't relate. <laughs> I, I can't speak to that. <laughs> I, I didn't relate as much. And so I would just like, I would do, you know, that dating is hard stuff. And I would get off stage and people would come up to me and say, how come you didn't talk about being Mexican? Oh. And I was like, because I'm not. Oh. Got and it. And then they would say, well, California. Well, how come you didn't talk yeah, you about are. being Sicilian? <laughs> Out. And I was like, well that's very specific. Why
0: would I talk about being Sicilian? <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: not Sicilian. Well what are you? What are you? What are you?
0: Now you've got an answer.
2: Y- yeah. Now I just do
1: it. It enters the room before you.
2: Because if I don't talk about it, right. they're wondering it the whole time.
0: Well and plus since you're you know, since number three was I'm not a good Muslim, are you defining for yourself what it means to be a good Muslim?
2: Well, at that time, I didn't know if I was Muslim, period. Okay. Right. And I think what's happened since then, uh, that was 2008. I think what's happened since then, uh, as a result of the Muslim president that we just had, <laughs> Obama. <laughs> oh, right. Islam became a race. Right,
0: right. Right. You know.
2: Oh, right. And especially for Persians, <clears throat> that's complicating. Very complicated.
0: Right, because you're not Arabs.
2: Right. Well, aside from that, uh, for Persians, number one, Iranians are Shia Muslims. It's another sect. Right. Right. There aren't just two. There are like right. mm, 40 to 70 sects.
0: So it's a little different because we talk about that on our podcast. You know, what is it to – be? you know, Jewish is not a race. Mm. But it's clearly to us more than a religion. It's, I mean the guy I do the podcast with, he's an atheist, which makes him no less Jewish, of course. But his – he spends a lot of time defining what a culture is. Right. He says we're a culture. You know, we have shared history. We have a shared language. We have shared experience. That makes us a culture. Right. It's not like being Methodist, but it's not like being I would Mexican. Say
1: from my perspective, fortunately or unfortunately, you guys don't get to decide because somebody else decided it was a race. Yes.
0: You're right. You can and run, but you can't hide.
1: That's, that's what right. I say. I mean, that's the problem. I
2: mean, I think that's what we're finding is with this new wave of... Um, hate crimes and racism and divisive rhetoric. It's like, oh, Jewish people, you were white for a while, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Yeah,
0: yeah. And by the way, there's a bomb in the basement.
2: Exactly.
1: And, <laughs> and we all laugh. Huh? That's not funny.
2: It's so interesting for me watching what's happening because, like, I saw recently there was you know the rift between um, Trump's response to the uh, anti-Semitic attacks that have been happening. As being not enough and getting criticized by that by the Anne Frank Society and then watching Benjamin Netanyahu get up and say to Donald Trump, you've done a lot for the Jewish people.
0: There's a lot of weird politics behind that. I personally don't think he's done a lot for the Jewish people. And I thought that whole like Trump, Trump, Trump. his thing like – you never know where these things can come from. <laughs> I was like, "Dude, come on!"
1: I yeah, really. I, mean, I don't know. The whole thing is so baffling to me. Like, I, I, how can you even parse it? It's just like one weird thing after another. Before we
0: we're this is our longest podcast ever. Oh, every second of it. But before we close, I want to ask you a little bit about your podcast and how you went from zero to a hundred. Oh yeah, yeah. Tell us I right mean, you've now. Had, you've, you've recorded in the White House. Yes. Uh, was there an The Oprah, Wharton School? The yes. Wharton School. Was there an Oprah thing somewhere in
2: there? Yes, Oprah, Oprah uh, said, take a note.
0: Take, note. take you, note. Terry Gross?
2: Terry Gross, that's right.
0: So, how did you build up so much momentum?
2: We were on. So, we, Taz and I had already sort of established ourselves as separate entities. You know, like I was already doing comedy and known somewhat, uh, at least statewide.
0: So, you came with a little bit of a critical mass? Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, and we had both just been in the book, Love, Inshallah, The Secret Love Lives of American Muslim Women. Um, also, there's really no such – there's no PR like Muslim PR.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
2: It has the power to get a president elected. <laughs> so I have heard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like it just the, the Muslim train, the, the rhetoric of the Muslim train of just like, you know, uh, it, it, there is so much money pumped into everything being about Islam. And so that is there already. Uh, before we even recorded our first episode, we were on PRI's The World.
1: I remember. Wow. That's right.
2: And they were like, you know, we literally were going to record our episode after that interview. And they had asked us, like, what are the segments? And we made up those segments, like, there in that interview. Uh and then
1: that's the when stand-up served you well think right, around your exactly. feet and just like <laughs> yeah because
0: be having done two of these things now i know it takes a while to get up to speed as what far are as
2: talking about in our second <laughs> month we were in mother jones
0: no i don't mean that <laughs>
2: <laughs> i mean the back
0: and forth and how you play off each oh, yeah, other was, and oh, yeah, knowing yeah, how yeah. to actually do it.
2: it 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 did serve us because as we did the podcast as you must know you know, you discover there are things that, like, you don't actually agree on. <laughs> and there are business choices you but, really disagree but on. But that's
1: interesting to listeners to hear a little friction. I remember those first episodes. There were a couple of times where I could hear a little, like, Ur. yeah, it was you know, and, difficult. and but that's interesting because you hardly ever experience that as a viewer, listener, reader
2: anymore.
0: Right. Well, that's what, you know, differentiates podcasts from radio.
2: Right. I think so, yeah. It's a right.
0: conversation that goes on forever. Right. Unfortunately, ours has gone forever.
2: <laughs> but it's been <laughs> so, so good. So we need to close
0: it up. And I also oh. want to give Liv Zara a little time because she has so many irons in the fire. Yeah. That I can't just say, where can they find you? What do you Tell us what you're working on now and then tell us where we can find you.
2: You can find
0: me at ZaraComedy.com. Twitter
2: uh, handle? At Zara Comedy. I see you got Z- a little H- brand thing H- going H-R-A. on there. Z-A-H-R-A. Yeah, Z-A-H-R-A. And uh, right now I'm working on my comedy special on behalf of all Muslims um, and my book, My Infidel Husband. Um, and I'll be perfor- I'm performing at a lot of college campuses. I'm doing a bit of a tour. If you want to bring me to your campus or have me for your event, contact me.
0: And they can get that information on your website. Yes, they can. ZaraComedy.com. BQ, what do you have going on?
1: What do I have going on? Well, in five days, my book launches oh, ah! on International Women's Day. That'll be fun. Nice. Broad strokes. And then I have multiple back-to-back um, readings, teaching gigs. I don't know. I think you better just go to my website, com. I couldn't get BridgetQuinn.com.
0: and Twitter for you
1: at bequinterest
0: and I am at that Larry And I have no website, which is really pathetic. But you have the GrottoPod website. I have the GrottoPod website. If you like the sound of my voice, mm-hmm. you can listen to "Is It Good for the Jews" uh, at IsItGoodForTheJews.com. As for us here on GrottoPod, uh, Twitter the GrottoPod, Facebook you- slash GrottoPod. Wow, you're good at that website. SFGrotto.org slash craft slash GrottoPod. Email. We have email? GrottoPod at gmail.com.
1: <laughs> we have email. Email us. How about that? And what if you want, uh, Zara, if people want to listen to you on your podcast? Go to
2: goodmuslimbadmuslim.com.
0: There you go. And she'll hashtag the heck out of you.
1: That's oh, right. Yeah. Oh, man. You will you will feel blessed by that hashtag. All right. Juju.
0: Well, <clears throat> a Muslim, a Jew, and a Catholic got in a room, and this is what happened. BQ, yep. take us out. It
1: seems like there could be a better joke in that. I don't know what it is,
0: but— That was just a setup.
1: Okay. Okay. So then just read, write, and just keep working.